Hello, Mr. Mouth Sounds. Mm. Oh, low sugar. I don't know how you function at this hour. My body is folding its tents and putting them onto the back of the truck at this hour. Yeah, a lot of people say that to me. I don't know how you X when it's something that they would find uh, unimaginably burdensome. I used to be different. I used to be a nighttime person. And now I'm neither. I mean, I, I, I get basically I get tired at... I'm awake for about 10 minutes at 3, 2.30 or 3. And then it's That's, all, that's only drug-assisted, too. Not really. I mean... Coffee's in the morning, yeah. So try try not having any coffee in the morning and tell me how long you're awake. Well, oh boy, here we go. <laughs> what do you mean? Well, you tell me you're not drinking coffee anymore. No more caffeine for you. Easy, easy. It's early. Um, I have to be careful about uh, things. I um, I will have a cup of coffee. Not too long after I wake up, and I often have another cup of coffee. Sometimes I'll have a third cup of coffee, but I rarely drink coffee after 11 Pacific mm-hmm. time. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's just to, to, just to get you going, just to get the engine started. Yeah, but like right now, I'm making mouse sounds because I'm drinking tea. I got to have a little bit of tea. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, that's no caffeine and tea, so you're okay there, right? No, it's the, what's this, uh, you know, some kind of hippie tea that's got, uh, it's not hippie tea, it's, you know, it's like, uh, it's a tea that's got, um, you know, I don't know, activators, electrolytes. <laughs> I can't think. Blast processing? Is that what the tea has? Yeah, right. It's uh, it's uh, oven broasted. You would have been so proud of me this afternoon. Um, I watched an entire anime movie all the way through in a sitting without even wow. pausing. Which one was that? It's called Summer Wars. It's from... Mm, see, that's I've had that on my list uh, forever. In fact, I have it sitting there waiting for me to watch, but I have not watched it. So you've seen something that I haven't. I'd love to hear what you think. It's, it's very weird. It's the Wolf Children guy, right? I don't know. It's, uh, it's kind of about like a, a Facebook-ish Uber video game that kind of runs everything, but it's also a family story, and it's kind of all over the map, but it's... Uh, I don't. I still feel like I really don't have the. Uh, I have a feel for anime that's not Miyazaki, and even Miyazaki confuses me. But um, we bought it off the. Uh, I had to do it for another program that I do. Had to watch it, and um, I thought it was. I thought it was good. They love their video games, there, don't they? Yeah, it was. Uh, it's the Wolf Children guy, and also the girl who leapt through time. Another one I have on my list, but I have not seen. I got that on the Plex. Wolf Children. As director, Samurai Champloo, which I watched and enjoyed, but he just did the opening. Hmm. Yeah, it's a mix of uh, obvious like CGI stuff and what looks like hand drawn. I don't know. It was good. It was good. Well, so I, I hesitate to point out this was not actually the anime you're supposed to watch for this program, but I'm glad that you watched. Oh, was that Millennium Actress? And enjoyed it. Yes. Yeah, I got a good copy of that. I mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I, I got to watch that. Oh, John, I'm very low energy. This is this is terrible. You'll be fine. Do you think I'm all right? Yeah, you'll be fine. Okay. Just, all right, good, good. You're gathering steam, like the, the old steam engine, you know, just the... Yeah. Tsh, and by the end of the program, you'll have a good head of steam going, then you'll have to go home. What do you say? What do you say? What do you say? And then I'll have to go watch movies for two hours to unwind. You don't have to, but that's how it works. Yeah. You know? Aloha. I don't know. I don't know what I'll watch tonight. I don't know. I uh, I'm, I'm kind of out of stuff to watch. 
you're never out of stuff. You have the, the 9,000 things that you're supposed to watch that, that you don't because yeah. you don't want to watch them. But that's what you mean by out of stuff. I have plenty of suggestions. If you ever find yourself uh, unable to find something to watch? You should. That would be good. That would be good to talk about tonight because tonight we have to have a fairly short episode um, for the sake of our editor's sanity. And uh, we do have some follow-up, I believe. We do. It's the way it goes. <laughs> Drink this tea. Digga, 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 follow up. We got some fart follow up. Mm. Let's just start with the cherry fart follow-up. picking. Cherry picking. You didn't it's the link top, to it's the, the top one. Uh, the top you one. didn't. Oh, sure, John drops in a link, and that settles it. I, there was so much feedback from people that I saw. This is maybe the most feedback we've ever gotten about anything. Is, is lighting, lighting, lighting a match, and and the implications for farts. I don't understand why cherry. But all the feedback said basically the same thing. So I, we were talking about uh, what you do to make uh, stinky smells go away, and the whole lighting a match thing, and through well, a I bunch think, of I think we, diff- we differed. We differed on our uh, reckons on why why people do light a match and what it is doing, if anything, apart from just masking the smell. And it was my feeling that the the, the burning, the extinguishing of the match, and the sulfur smell is what masks the smell. Of farts, and you had some kind of cockamamie theory about methane or something. No, it wasn't my theory. I was just offering that as a, a thing that I've heard. Uh, and I said, what I said was, you know, Mythbusters should do an episode about it because mm. this is exactly the type of thing that they would do because it's easily testable. I didn't know what the results of said episode would be. I was suggesting that it should be done. Anyway, Tef- Teflon John. Myth- Mythbusters, go, go look at the tape. And Mythbusters <laughs> did do an episode about this. In fact, they were testing that exact thing. Hey, does the burning match, like, you know, consume any gases that uh you know an appreciable amount of gases to reduce the smell um and mythbusters on episode 48 concluded that it does not consume or eliminate smell causing components many people wrote in to tell us that methane has no smell and it's the other components of the uh flatulence that are the problem um but Mm. anyway the flame does nothing uh this link that i put in the show notes and many other links that we have had on this topic point out that when you light the match stuff on the head of the match that makes it burn burns goes into the air and that smelly stuff from you know that you smell from lighting the match sort of overloads your olfactory uh senses and you can't smell anything else that's not so far from what i said well so here's the the thing that doesn't I, i've make never sense i've never thing. thought or believed that it does anything chemical to neutralize the smell. I, I think it's mostly the, a pathway kind of thing. I've always, I've always just assumed that it was just a, your nose gets, you know, uh, just distracted. Yeah. Well, you last episode, I believe you were offended by my suggestion that you were merely masking the smell with something else, and that's exactly what this is doing. The smell is still there; you just can't smell it anymore because it's been covered over by this much worse smell that just uh, turns all the dials on your uh, your nose senses. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, uh, the the, tr- the part that, that always kept me chuckling was your idea that it wasn't the lighting of the match that was the problem. It was the putting it out. And I was trying to puzzle out, what is it in the process of pu- of blowing the match out that helps? Like, once you've lit it, you have burned the little sulfur stuff that's on the head of the match. Yeah, like, that's done. Bulb, at at yeah. that point, that's done. All you're doing by blowing it out is preventing it from, I guess, burning the wood part of the match or the paper part, depending on what kind of match it is. And I wondered how, you know, your, your thing was like, it's not the lighting of the match, it's the blowing out. Yeah, it's, like, the, it's the extinguishing. It's like jazz. It's not the notes you play. <laughs> the space is between the notes, and it's when you blow the match out, which didn't make sense to me, and I haven't heard any plausible theory on that. But anyway, now we know all about farts. Uh, and the best advice I have is to just have a bathroom fan and turn it on. 
Oh, boy. That will take the smelly gas out of the bathroom ever slowly. Spoken like somebody with an electric oven. I don't know. electric oven? That's right. Yours is gas. Uh, If it worked, it would be gas. uh, No, I'm calling tomorrow. I'm calling tomorrow. I had a gas oven. I had a gas oven for a while. I didn't really (laughs) like it. I like electric oven better. That's that's what they say. Uh, Electric oven uh, gas range. That's... That's what the preferred mix is or was before induction came along, I suppose. Hmm. Yeah. I don't I, I don't know. I mean, well, then let me ask you this. Uh, it sounds like you don't light a lot of matches in the course of your day. It's I always do, seemed to not. me that the, the lighting of a match smells a little bit like sulfur, but it's almost like a, like a candle. Like when you blow out a candle, that's when you really smell the like uh, Bernie smell. Ditto with a match. It's like when you extinguish it that it makes that little puff of whitish smoke. That that's, that's when you really smell the sulfur smell. Uh, I think it's in the head of the match, and I think it's in the lighting part. I don't think like because after that you're just burning wood, you're just burning wood. After that, the, the the little red thing on the on the head of the match is gone. It is burned away, and now you are just burning the wood part and blowing out the burning wood part. I mean, I guess that will make smoke, like putting out a fire that you're burning wood in. But that's not the thing that does it, according to all the stuff we read. It's the sulfur on the tip of the match, not the wood part. Mm, I got a lot of reading to do. Uh, well, thank you to everybody who responded about that. I will fart more. And uh, do some personal experiments. I'll, I'll do kind of a Tim Ferriss on myself. I'll be, as they say, a human guinea pig. Don't light your pants on fire. Mm-mm. Eat a lot of, you're supposed to eat a lot of almonds. Rookie mistake. Mm-mm. This episode of Reconcilable Differences is brought to you in part by Hover. You can learn more about Hover right now by visiting Hover.com. When you have a great idea for your hot new project... You need to give it a great domain name because if it's worth doing, it's worth doing with your own special name. Truth is, finding that perfect domain is just ridiculously easy with Hover. With Hover, you have access to over 400 different domain extensions, you know, stuff like .com and .org. But how about .pizza, .ninja, and .horse? That is correct. They have great support, including a phone line where a real actual person will pick up. My favorite thing about Hover, they treat you like an adult. Because when all you want to do is buy a domain name or an email address, you shouldn't have to opt out of page after page of add-ons, nonsense and junk that you don't want or need. Hover offers only domains and email, so you can focus on finding that domain name and get back to doing what you're doing with your great idea. They also believe you shouldn't have to pay for things that should already be private, like your information for your who is. They're going to, on all supported domains, they give that to you for free. That is private. Nobody needs to know that information. This is how it should be. So listen, go find the perfect domain name for your great idea. You go to Hover.com and have a look around. And as a special for Reconcilable Differences listeners, use the offer code PERMISO, P-E-R-M-I-S-O, PERMISO at checkout. You're going to save 10% off your first purchase. Our thanks to Hover for taking the pain out of domain management and for supporting Reconcilable Differences. You have a link here about uh, uh, plum tomatoes. Yeah, we talked a lot about making uh, tomato sauce for your pasta the last episode. And I think one thing I forgot to mention is I, I, in all of my like, oh, just go find yourself your own recipe, so on and so forth. Since the main ingredient in all of these tomato sauce recipes is tomatoes, a lot of people had questions about what kind of tomatoes they should use. Uh, and there is a particular kind that's sort of the go-to for making tomato sauce, and those are uh, San Marzano tomatoes. Amazon tomatoes are a little bit tricky because if you go into whatever store you want to buy tomatoes in and look for capital S-A-N space, capital M-A-R-Z-A-N-O, you will see those two words on a lot of cans of tomatoes, only some of which are actually from that place in Italy where these tomatoes are from. It's a it's a, like a champ, champagne type situation. Yeah, there's apparently no law against putting those words on your tomatoes that are grown in Canning, California, 
or New Jersey or whatever. And it's not to say that, that those tomatoes are somehow worse. It's just that, like if you're looking for a, a go-to, like I don't know, there's a million different kinds of, of canned plum tomatoes here. I don't know which one to get. Find the ones that are actually from this region. And it's difficult because the labeling is very tricky. There are, there are, there are certain brands that have like Sam Marzano written on repeat all the way around the can in huge letters. And then it's tiny tiny letters tell you that they're like made in california right? <laughs> san marzano style fruit product yeah it's very tricky very tricky you said um, something you said something that i've been thinking about a lot though uh that that was really smart which is where you said you know hey you know a lot of times especially you said with most of the vegetables involved you in many cases prefer the ones in a can versus the ones from your yard and uh, I just thought that was, that was very interesting because I think it also is a testament to how much it helps to tinker and try uh, different things because you may find things that where the, you prefer the taste and the consistency and the convenience and maybe the cost. You know, it's worth it's worth trying different things like that. Don't just because a lot of people. I think when a lot of people want a recipe, it's it's like the, it's a wire cutter ish thing where people want to know the one true answer to something. It's like when I ask you what kind of TV to buy, which you've clearly heard from thousands of people, you're like, it depends, it depends, it depends. And I, I think it's really true with almost every kind of food. There's not there's not any one way to make any food. And if you're waiting for somebody to give you the one solution, you're not really cooking. You're just you're just you know making recipes. Yeah, and a lot of these dishes, like it, it, the best analogy is, uh, you know, dried herbs versus fresh herbs. They're two different things. Like one is not better than the other. Sometimes you want one, sometimes you want the, the best example, speaking of Italian cook, is like dried oregano versus fresh. Totally different. And it's not as if one, you know, if you see one in a recipe, like, oh, ha, but I'm going to make this recipe better. It calls for dried, and I'm going to put it in fresh. You're just, you're just changing it, right? And so same thing with canned tomatoes. It's, if you have fresh tomatoes, are they better than canned? Almost certainly not, because you almost certainly don't live in a region with a tomato growing season as good as the places that can these things. Oh, you know, it's like it's very difficult to get fresh tomatoes that are going to be as good as good ones that are canned. And for for the most part, these recipes work are you know are intended to be uh, made with canned tomatoes. So if you even if you have these tomatoes fresh grown on your volcanic mountainside in Italy. Um, you should probably can them and then use them later to make the sauce with them. I've made it with fresh tomatoes. Like I said, I've made them from my garden. It's just, it's really difficult. Not a lot of places in the United States anyway have really great tomato growing seasons. Um, so yeah, go with the canned stuff. Look for San Marzano. Look really close at the can. And that brings me to the uh, ancillary subject that's indented underneath this that uh, made me think of this, which is olive oil. Every few years on the internet, the story goes around all the different websites about how all extra virgin olive oil is fake. It's it made another round like maybe a couple weeks ago. It's true. It's always true. It comes around every few years. Uh, uh, I suggest that you read all the stories. It's a really grim situation. You want extra virgin olive oil for many applications of Italian cooking. You are essentially defenseless <laughs> against the things that are on store shelves. Oh, really? They're they're. Um, sort of willfully mislabeled and nobody's doing anything about it? Yeah, like, just, you know, totally illegal. Like, even the ones that are, like, there's just not, they're just not tested. Even the ones that are certified, stamped, whatever, there's no word, no seal, almost no anything that can go on them because every time any reputable, uh, you know, place tests these things, they find, like, the ones with all the seals of approval and all coming from the right place or whatever, and they're just, like, you know... Not even made from olives, let alone extra virgin, <laughs> let, like adulterated with like safflower oil and also like just 
it, just plain old, straight up, illegal, we labeled this olive oil, but it's not, or we labeled this extra virgin, but it's not extra virgin, or it's partially olive oil, or it doesn't come from the place where they said, just, it is essentially hopeless. Um, so the best you can do is, every few years when these stories go around, look at the current list of, like, that's the worst part about these stories, like, you know, we tested all these olive oils, and here are the ones that passed the test, and here are the ones that failed, and you would think you would look at that and go, aha, from now on, I'm going to buy one of these ones from the past list, but wait two years, someone else will do the same test, and the lists all change. It's right, like, right, right. it depends on the time of year that you buy it, who, you know, it's like, it, it, it's not as if there is a good brand and a bad brand, it is essentially hopeless. So... You just do what you can. I read the lists. I try to, uh, you know, the, the the main meta advice is like, ironically, don't trust the stuff from Italy because they're more likely to, uh, you know, to, to do it wrong there than if you get to the stuff, local stuff from California. Apparently, the, it's stricter or whatever. But who knows? Who the heck knows? So all you can do is just buy some olive oil, taste it. If it tastes good to you, buy it again. And don't. And and don't like give up. Don't be say like, okay, well we're just we're just buying this one from now on because from month to month, week to week, the same oil olive oil in the same container from the same company can taste totally different. It's a tough situation, but that's what you gotta do. Hmm. Things like that are so strange. And especially today where there is so much emphasis on sourcing, uh, which is a word I really don't like. Uh but <laughs> like where it came from, you know, the provenance, like how it was even the, you know, uh, whether it's ethical and all those kinds of things, it seems like that that's something that's just, it's not just a West Coast hipster thing anymore. It seems like something a lot of people are really concerned about. I'd be kind of surprised that somebody like a Trader Joe's wouldn't want to really ferret that out. And I guess they benefit from it being mislabeled, maybe. Well, now here's the problem. Like, in, in so many things, the, uh, I don't listen to that food safety podcast that you've talked about many times, but in so many things, the problem is that, like, there is a law that says uh, food item X must have these qualities right uh who is testing that that is being followed there just aren't enough people testing that's like a random sample at a random time or interval and like the whole rest of the time if you're not currently being tested all the rest of the stuff you ship could be made from you know asbestos and thumbtacks but for the one time the tester guy comes in you know it's and, and some of it's just not tested at all or tested we haven't tested them in three years like it's, it's not probably, as it's probably coming from different different places or plants you know, I mean, if you think about stuff like, I know this is a little different, but Coca-Cola is mostly bottled locally, usually. it's It can be different from place to place, depending on the on the water and stuff. So, like, you know, even if, if you're a fairly large company, I would have to imagine you have different plants. And, I mean, testing that, I mean, it amounts to, like, walking up to a grown man and saying, were you a good boy today? And, like, going, yeah, I was. Okay, that's cool. I mean, you know, <laughs> it's not no guarantee that you're going to be perfect all the time. I think people have this fantasy that uh, we live in some kind of, like, uh uh, socialist utopia where 60% of the population of the United States are government employees. Like they don't understand what it would actually take. How many, how many actual human beings are employed whose job it is to test that foods comply with the laws that we have set for foods. It is a tiny, tiny number compared to the number of places that uh, either produce or import food. It is a physical impossibility for that number of people to have any chance of even statistically significantly sampling all the different food for all the different rules. That's how this stuff gets through. That's why when any random website pulls a bunch of olive oils off the shelf in a supermarket, they're shocked to see the vast majority of them completely fail the test of being what they say they are on the label, right? Because, you know, they're just... That's not what that's not what we spend our money on, the government. We don't spend it on people testing food. It's just, it's an impossibility. So 
uh you know it's, it's not like they're feeding you poison because that would get the notice it's just lesser oils different oils cheaper oils right uh and that's life so yeah read these articles and, and by the way the google the relevant google query if you want to google for this probably won't even bother putting in the show notes <laughs> what i googled on right before the show is just google for all olive oil is fake and you will find pages upon pages upon pages of stories from this year, last year, two years ago, three years ago, four years ago, all about exactly the same thing. Olive oil fraud, olive oil scams, don't fall, fall victim. Your extra virgin olive oil is fake. How to tell if your oil is fake. It, just, it goes on and on and on. So it is a eternal story. I don't know if it has ever been better. Maybe back when, uh, in the time of the Godfather, when uh, it was import, importing olive oil. That, mm-hmm. that was the real stuff, but... Probably now, not. what do you think? Now, you figure the Genco company was their front, at least. I mean, sure, sure, they had olive oil that they imported, but that was mostly to what? I mean, not to say launder money. I don't want to speak ill, you know, of the family, but it was uh, it was a front in a lot of ways, right? I mean, they always said that they were olive oil in the olive oil business. Yeah, well, that's that's always the question. Is like, was it? It really depends. Is it was it more work to fake it? Or back then, was it just like, well, olive oil, got olive oil coming out of our ears, so just, you know, import it, and we don't care if we make money on it, so might as well get the real stuff. I mean, the the, the extra angle on that is, presumably, the fictional family and the Godfather, they wanted to have real olive oil for their mm-hmm. meals, sure. right? So where are they going to get it from? The only place they actually control is their front business for importing olive oil, so why not actually import the real stuff? It just seems like less work. Also, molasses out of Canada. Big fans. Mm-hmm. Um, can, can we have a quick segment of Ask uh, Professor Syracuse here? Sure. I, I need your rationality for something that I find myself thinking and saying a lot, and, and I want you to apply your difficult filters and your hell mode uh, thinking to it. Uh, my my hell mode thinking? Isn't that what they call it? Aren't you like you're playing in difficult? Hell mode? Yeah. I think you're making up your own. All right, that's fine. Go ahead. I'm, I might have had a stroke. Here's, here's the thing. Uh... I'm just going to present this the way I would say it and the way I will say it. And you tell me whether I'm right or wrong, what I'm getting right and wrong, and what I'm misremembering or just mislogicking. Um, I remember peaches being much, much better when I was a child. Uh, I feel like I remember having access to better tomatoes. Those are two, those are two that come to mind. Strawberries a little bit. Strawberries used to seem sweeter. Uh, peaches seemed more, uh, like a ripe peach was, was like one of my favorite foods as a kid. So, uh, have they changed that much? I've heard a lot about the ways that they breed these to be hardier for shipping. How much of that is rose colored glasses from youth? Do you feel like there are differences in some kinds of fruits and vegetables versus when you're a kid? Broccoli still tastes like broccoli to me, mostly asparagus, same deal. Peaches. Peaches are a dumpster fire today. Is, is it just me? Uh, I, I think part of it is nostalgia, but everything that you've read about how they've changed the various... Uh, it's two things. Changing the produce, like genetically breeding different varieties that have uh, the char- the superficial characteristics that are appealing. Strawberries, for example, are gigantic. They're ridiculously huge. Right. If you go back a couple of decades, they're not that big anymore. Making apples that are super red and shiny and covered in wax, even though they taste like sawdust, because that's what the idealized vision of an apple is. There's like two like. kinds of apples I can eat at this point. 
They are, are, you're right. They just, they, they, they look like, they feel like, and this is the, the, you know, dumb paranoid of me, but it feels like they're making these so that they can ship these from wherever, from Chile or wherever, and they will be uniform size and look good in a pile at Whole Foods. But then when you bite into them, it's hardly food. Yeah, so the I mean the the red delicious is the best example, which is like the most uh, oxymoron. You know, the the his name is the opposite of, uh, of what you, the actual experience of eating it, uh, and that was you know made long ago. But many apples and other uh, food products like that, and and you hit on the last point right there, uh, shipping durability, not just shipping durability, but the idea that maybe when you were a kid. Uh, you only got certain food items when they were in season somewhere near you, whereas now everything is in season all the time. And what that means is the thing you're getting, it's like, oh, I can get pineapples year-round, but where are they coming from? I can get peaches year-round, but where are they coming from? Probably some from someplace far away where it's not winter. And if they're coming from far away, they were probably you know a variety that can survive that trip, or they were picked way before they were really ripe, and so that, you know... They never really got ripe on the vine, so they're never going to taste as good. It's the combination of all those things. And I can tell you it's not, for the most part, except for the cases where they've, like, bred out all the good-tasting varieties, which could arguably be said for tomatoes for durability reasons, and they still have, like, those heirloom ones that you can mm-hmm. grow in your backyard that taste better. But things like peaches in particular, which I have some experience with, if you go to a place where they grow peaches and you pick them off of the tree, and it's been a good growing season, mm-hmm. they, t- they taste like what you remember. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, they're... <sighs> ah, this, is all this whole, like, organic and everything thing feels like such... Like, we... My wife, my wife, whom I love, she always buys the organic everything. We get the organic strawberries. We get the organic raspberries. The raspberries... These raspberries taste like erasers to me. <laughs> I don't know about the raspberries. I, I remember picking them as a kid too. But like the, the peaches, I have recent experience with because I, I, I don't know the North Fork of Lyon. They grow peaches. It's not really a good peach growing place, but it's all right. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes we go peach picking, and you go up to the tree, and the ones that won't be ripe, you pull them off, you bite them, and like oh, they taste like what it tastes like in the supermarket, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but you'll find the ones that are ripe, and you'll take them off, and they're good. You know, same thing with corn. Everyone's had crappy corn, but if you right. live somewhere in the Midwest where the corn is nearby, it is amazing, and it really depends on when you when you get it. Some, you know, it's really it's it's actually really different. It's weird, but you think like corn, corn's just corn, right? But then and you think, oh, this is really good corn. This is you know summer sweet corn. But man, it, it sounds so silly. But if you they say that like you know actually if you can like have it like within a day of picking it or less that it's you know that it basically it loses a certain amount of its zest like maybe not exponentially but faster than you would imagine then becomes regular corn pretty quick but summer corn can be a hell of a thing yeah, and it really depends on how long how, how good the season was how when it was picked was it picked before its time right so mm-hmm. i mean we, we do the same like you get stuff farm stand corn out on long island that was you know picked that day or the day before and it really depends on what farm you're getting it from, if it was uh, picked at the right time, and, you know, it's it's hit or miss, but you know when you get a good one. And so for things that are shipped from the other hemisphere, <laughs> you can't pick them when they're ripe, because by the time they got to you, even if they were flown on the world's fastest jet, they would be mush. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I think it's a combination of all those things, and these, these are all real things. And, I mean, some of them are just, you know... Like you can actually see with your eyeballs, like the size of strawberries. I mean, they're, they're the, the strawberries are the size of plums now. The strawberries we get, on. strawberries are a go-to for my kids' lunch, and they're asinine. There's, there, and, and the thing is, like one of my favorite things, like a great taste of childhood to me, is like pretty good, like f- like vanilla bean ice cream, like like you know, a good quality. And I don't want to get into ice cream with you, but uh, you know, like a you know, a top shelf vanilla bean ice cream with uh, sliced strawberries in it, I think is one of the great tastes 
but they're just we used to have a strawberry festival uh down in florida in plant city to celebrate all is like in march the the you know we brought in the strawberries and they were again i don't know how much of that is just that i was a kid maybe i tasted things better but now you really make me want to go seek out some peaches yeah, you got. You just got to go to these things. Like, and uh, maybe um, I don't know, five years ago or something. When my kids were younger, we went to a local corn and tomato festival festival out here in Massachusetts, and they had corn, which I wasn't that interested in because I've had I've had the best. I've had I've had the the corn from the source in the Midwest, and and you know the east end of Long Island has some good corn too. But the tomatoes, it was all all the weird variety of tomatoes, all the ones that are like purple and blue and swirly and green and yellow and look like uh big gnarled ugly things like all the kinds of tomatoes you can imagine all like you, you know it's on a farm so i assume they were picked from local farms and brought to this place and all they do is take them and cut them up into little wedges and put them on plates and for your admission fee you can go to you can go to all the different tables and take these little wedges of tomatoes with absolutely nothing on them no salt no spices no oil no nothing just slices of tomato and it was amazing. It was absolutely amazing to taste like all these different kinds of tomatoes that you wouldn't think could taste that different. I could, I could have lived there just eating tomatoes for like a month until I got sick of them. It was incredible. So those things still exist out there. They're just not in your supermarket. It's depressing. Um, I think we have one more piece of follow up. This is the month of August, and uh, this is the month when Relay.fm celebrates their uh, anniversary birthday and uh, they're uh, two years old this month so pretty much i think almost every show uh has special episodes uh that are available to members only so if you're not already um, i don't like asking people for money but i think this is a great cause it helps a lot of cool podcasters supports independent podcasters uh you can go to relay.fm slash membership and uh i would like it a lot if you enjoy these programs shows like ours you know things like all the all the other all the great shows um Go and sign up, and uh, I think we should tell them what's coming their way. Yeah, well, so this is this members only uh, feed. It's like another show that you get that has episodes from the, the special episodes from all the other relay podcasts. Already has had many great episodes on there. Did you hear the text adventure? Yes, that was one of my favorites. Um, oh my I don't God. want to spoil what they all are, but they're a little bit different than the regular things. But they're all special. These are specials. Do you know what the little word "special" that swirls at you while the little thing plays in the background on CBS or whatever? That uh, oh right, yeah, 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 and it comes down the screen with those cool motion effects. Yeah, special, yeah. special, special. Unlike my previous uh, attempts to extract money from the audience by saying you get nothing, uh, <laughs> Willy Wonka style, you get nothing. In this case, you actually do get something. What do you get for being a member? You get the special episodes that come out once a year for all your favorite shows. We did a special episode on this here show. We did not talk about free will in the special episode, so no fear. Mm -hmm. But it was very special. I don't know. Do we want to spoil it or do we want I guess you have to tell people otherwise. No, gonna... I think we should tell people because yeah. it's it's big news, but also I think it might be an encouragement if you're on the bubble and you've been thinking about it. And listen, if you don't have the dough or you don't want to spend the dough, that's totally okay. But if you got the dough, uh, throw a little bit relays away. Everybody, if you do the All the Great Shows program like I did, I signed up for 100 bucks a year. Everybody gets a little bit of money. All the different folks who do shows get a cut of that. Uh, we have a show that will be coming out, I think, in the next couple weeks. Uh, oof, even, poor Mike. My God, he's got some editing to do. We, um, well, let's just say it. We recorded an episode, uh, with John Roderick. And I, th I think it turned out pretty good. Did you, did you enjoy it? I, I thought it was great. Uh, everyone has been asking for a podcast with the three of us on it because you do a podcast with that John and you do a podcast with this John. And now we all did a podcast together 
and it is a special episode, not a regular one. It's special. It is on the members only feed. Uh, and you should check out, like I said, the, the membership thing. You don't have to pay for a whole year. You can just pay for one month. You can give your money to one show. You can give your money to all the shows. It's very flexible. Just go to relay.fm slash membership and look at the options and you will get the special episode feed. And I would encourage you, even if this is the only relay show you listen to, listen to the other special episodes too, because they're special and they're fun. Yeah. You know, um, I can tell you, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I mean, it's it's fashionable to to find about how much one listens to podcasts. I listen to a lot of podcasts, and I I am not a fan of of flibbity jibbity crossover nonsense. And bleh, I mean, who cares? Just do a show. But in this case, these are fun. Some of these are fun combinations. You don't want to you don't want to give them a little bit of a taste. I mean, the cat's out of the bag on some of these. You got a uh, well. I mean, like for example, the um, Mac Power users. Uh, David and Katie talked about Star Wars and Star Trek, which they're always talking around and finally addressed directly. Katie is a very big fan of the Star Treks. Uh, and um, <laughs> there was a text adventure game involving um, Mike Hurley and CGP Grey with uh, our friend Jason Snell as the uh, text, what was it, Snelltron 2000? Yeah. He was and a computer. It sounds dumber than it is. Believe me, it is it was, way more entertaining than you think it's going to be. You can't describe. Uh, and it, it was. It's just. It's very, very fun. And I also, I really enjoyed the Clock Four episode. The crossover between Clockwise yep. and Top Four was yep. a lot of fun. Yeah, and like it doesn't matter who you, which show you give money to, or how much you get the whole feed. You get yep. all the specials. So yep. don't don't worry. Like we have to pick which specials you get them all. Yep. Which which means you will get ours when poor Mike gets done editing it. Oh for reasons goodness. that I really feel like going into, but I won't, out of respect for the other members of the uh podcasting team. Um, thank you. <laughs> it's long. It was like three hours long. I think it's gonna end up being an around little under two hour episode plus probably uh, an after dark. Roderick was all raring to go by the end. He said, we got to keep going. We can go, go till dawn. He just wanted to keep pushing. Yeah. That's why, that's why you got the bottle, right? Yeah. It's this jug right here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. So, um, like I say, this is not something we bring up all the time. And I, I know it can be tiresome when people keep asking for money. We try not to do that. But uh, I'm, I'm just going to be straight up. Like, I, um, uh, it's not even for me. It's for the network. It helps the network. And I, I mean, yeah, we'll see some of this money, but I also like the fact that it's your opportunity. I'm going to be, be straight for a minute. Like, I have my concerns about what's going to happen with independent podcasting in the next few years. And there's a lot of things that make me a little bit uh, antsy about it. And so when there is an opportunity to directly support by giving actual money to the people who do it, um, that's an opportunity that I, I usually avail myself of. And uh, if you are of that mind, this this helps a lot of nice people uh, who work really hard. That's all I'm going to say about that. It's just once a year. It's not like NPR where there's a pledge drive every two weeks. Oh, my goodness. It uh, they, they really come up really often. I still, get have, to, I still to, flashbacks about that. I used to be a, a very dedicated NPR listener in sort of the, the pre, pre-iPod days, I guess, when, you know, yeah. you just had the radio, and it was just, just oppressive. Like, I remember doing entire commutes where just all I heard was Pledge Drive. I'm like, please, I, I just want five minutes of content for this hour and 15-minute drive. Just five minutes of content, and it was just it was unrelenting. Yeah, I don't mind it like I used to. And I, I, you know, I mean, I have the ongoing membership where it, you know, auto-renews. So, you know, there's that. But uh, well, the weird part to me is what they give away. Like, it used to be the running joke for a long time was that PBS and NPR, you get a tote bag. And that was true. I mean, in fact, now they have a Nina Totenberg tote bag you can get, the Nina Toten bag. Mm-hmm. But 
I don't know what. So what are you? W is it B U R? B U R. TBH is the TV. Yeah. Right. 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 Um, KQED, their go to, their like the primary giveaway for the because you know they they it's like any kind of a structured sales thing. They have a certain amount they'd like you to spend, and for the amount that they'd like you to spend, uh, the the gift is a, is a what's called a survival a survival bucket. Did you get survival buckets there? Is this like a uh, doomsday prepper thing? Yep. You get a five-gallon <laughs> You get a five gallon bucket, like you get at the Home Depot, uh, that you can put a toilet seat on, so you can <laughs> use it so, as a toilet so, in the so apocalypse. It's sound, sounding great. And it's full of, like, eh, like survival-ish stuff. I think you might get a, one of those uh, Eton ha- hand crank radios. Take, take that out. out. Take it out first. first. <laughs> um... So uh, that, yeah, that's pretty dark for NPR. Is it's there? super dark, and it's but it's weird. I mean, because like the running joke, you know, in in uh, you look at CBS, you look at PBS, you look at you know NPR. Not all not all public radio, but you know NPR in particular. The audience is really graying. It's it's a known issue. It's just it's kind of funny. It's like, what's next? Like Maalox? Like I don't know. It's just strange. yeah. For the Doomsday thing, they're just going to die quietly in their beds, right? With the sheets pulled up to their chins next to their longtime spouse. Isn't that the plan for the? Oh seniors? yeah. Oh absolutely. I mean, I think right. it's, in the, not, it's not going to be squatting it's, on a bucket. In, Come on, it's in, it's, it's in the living will. You, you make sure, and you say, I want to be an organ donor. I know I'll probably just be made into sandwiches within a couple hours after <laughs> dying. I'm just going to curl up with my artisanal coloring books and just let it go. Yeah, just really, just just loosen just can't up. Hold it back anymore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so, but you know, thanks for listening. Anything else? Uh, I don't think yeah, we're at a follow up. Yeah, and already we're uh, we're thirty six minutes in, so we got already got a shorty. We got to do a shorty. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if you noticed, but um, I've. I, 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 I've been seeing another podcaster, so I, I did talk about reviews on another show. I know. I noticed that. I thought we had done the calendar math at the end of the special. Oh. Stupid be like, John oh, Roderick. We're, we're Stupid t- John Roderick screwed up everything this month. I th- was that what we were? Is that what was our problem? Our miscalculation? We forgot yes. that the next episode wasn't actually us, but it was the three of us instead and of. And we the two also of us. unintentionally saddled Mike with just under five hours of having to deal with our recordings, like within like one week. It's all gold. <laughs> I would still, I would be very willing, I, I doubt you've listened to that program, but I'd be willing to talk, uh, I'd love to hear what you think about reviews, because that's mainly why I was asking. Well, so I intentionally didn't listen to your discussion of reviews. Oh, so do you want to talk, talk a little bit of reviews? Which, which was a topic that was supposedly originally intended for this show, and that we thought, oh, we're going to beat Jason to it. We'll be able to talk about reviews before you even do that episode of Upgrade. It's like me watching Netflix without you. It's awful. How can I yeah. treat you like that? Anyway, you you're, did you're my main podcast, and how can I treat you like that? I don't miss, that's, it boggles the mind, truly. Uh, but I didn't listen to it, so I'm fresh. I don't know if you want to repeat the same things you said. You have you have a second bite of the apple here. You can take a second shot at being coherent about reviews. Uh, I would love that. I could really use that. I don't really remember what I said, um, and I, I do have a vague recollection that I didn't do a very good job trying to summarize what it is I wanted to say. And to be honest, uh, this might be a Merlin Light episode. I I mainly I kind of wanted to hear what, what I wanted to bang it around with you because I guess one thing Jason and I so anyway we'll put it in show notes. I talked to Jason uh, Snell uh, about this on Upgrade, but. I was, I guess, what I feel like um, what we did talk about that I thought was useful was like a little bit about why ratings in particular feel kind of broken and difficult. Um, We could talk about that. I would be willing to talk about that more. But I also like, I also want to, I'm curious about how you use or don't use reviews and ratings 
I just I and I'm just knowing how the little bit I know about how your mind works. I'm really curious about how you look at things like a wire cutter, um, or you know, or or look at app uh, ratings and stuff like that. Because p- part of my thesis was that even if you like myself feel that the whole idea of ratings and reviews are perma broken, you can't help but see them everywhere you go. And like, is there a way to just not see them? It's like you're always going to, if you're looking at it for an app and there's five apps that essentially do the same thing, like you can't kind of can't help but look at, you know, the reviews and how many there are and stuff like that. So take it any direction you want. I would love to hear what you think about ratings and reviews. Well, as somebody whose first instinct is always to look for and then subsequently complain about whatever is wrong with everything. In fact, I had a whole podcast about that. Um, <laughs> I, have, I have a unique relationship with reviews. It's not unique. Sorry. It's very unique now. Um <laughs> You're a little inter- pregnant. <laughs> yeah. I have an interesting relationship uh, with reviews uh, in that, well, first of all, all those things you rattled off, I, I feel like uh, fall into different categories. So and this is true of everybody. Like there's reviews of things that you know something about. There's reviews of things you know nothing about. There's reviews that you've been reading your whole life. There's, you know, uh, you know, all sorts of things. I thought the one I thought of immediately though, was like, uh, because you mentioned the wire cutter when you're looking for something that you basically don't know anything about. Like, uh, I was recently shopping for cameras. Not that I don't know anything about cameras, but it's not one of my hobbies that I'm super into. I haven't been reading photography magazines for 20 years. I don't have a series of expensive cameras. I don't have a lot of experience with it. So everyone has shop, had to shop for something like this. And one school of thought is, who cares? Buy whatever the hell you want. You're fine, right? And I'm not that type of person. I'm the type of person who wants to research everything, even if I know nothing about it. Whether it's- well, especially the, the what you're, I mean, hearing you talk about this on ATP, this is not, to get the kind of camera with the form factor and quality you want is going to cost you some dough. And there's implications down the line in terms of lenses and stuff. Like you can't, you don't want to just guess. That's post. That's kind of like uh, post rationalization because, uh, realistically speaking, my dishwasher costs more than my camera, right? <laughs> because dishwashers are ridiculously expensive now. But everything, Is that true? I'm, my gosh, yeah. But wow. every, everything, uh, not including lenses, everything I buy, I'm, I'm the type of person. You, you know, if you're this type of person, do you care? Certain things you care about, certain things you don't. For me, I almost always want to research something before I buy it. And everybody knows if you're like this, um, but say, assume that you are. And for everybody, there's something you might want to research. When you're faced with that and you don't know anything about it, you, you know, luckily we have the internet, which is this vast sea of information about everything you want. Like you said, you can't go anywhere without seeing reviews. How do you deal with the situation when you're starting from zero and you know you want a new set of bed sheets or a camera or a dishwasher or whatever, and you want to find the one that's like the best bang for your buck? Uh, and so you go through and you start reading reviews. What you're looking for is often like, is there one or two authoritative popular long-standing sites that review these things so i can compare things and um my mindset with the whole finding flaws and having written reviews for many many years as well i find that i can figure get the number of every single review site review person uh like i can get the lay of the land for anything even if i come in knowing nothing by merely reading maybe 100 reviews so i read like 100 reviews <laughs> nearly right and, and because a lot of people they'll read 100 reviews and just feel overwhelmed and feel like they have made no progress for me as i read the reviews i feel like i'm homing uh, honing in on like what exactly you know I, i'll look at the bylines i'll look at the site i'll figure out is this guy grumpy about this is this person a sony uh you know fan site how reputable is this where are the paid reviews what do they care about something that i don't care about you know and quickly sort of you know 
I feel like I'm getting closer to an answer instead of farther away, which is which I think is not true for everybody because I've heard from a lot of people like I try to do research and I read thing after thing and I just come out even more confused because and this is especially true of people who would just like look at one side they just look at Amazon it's like everything I look at uh, every product has 75 terrible reviews and 150 glowing reviews and I don't know what to do like I'm not getting closer to an answer and then the mistake there is going to a single site you got to go to multiple ones. Um, but uh, all this is to say that I find the vast volume of reviews about everything on the internet to be a benefit to me personally, because I'm like, throw the information into the hopper. I don't care where it came from, or whatever. I will eventually figure out what I should think about every site, every review, every person, and come to some kind of answer that is closer than what I had before. Am I getting the perfect answer? No, because I don't know anything about cameras. I'm never going to get the perfect answer, but I'm getting closer than I was before I began this research, right? And that's Mm -hmm. what I want. I want to say, I have no information now, and if I just bought something that someone suggested, like, you know, that's a good starting point, but how do I know? Like, I want, I just want to get closer to the answer, right? I have no expectation that I'm going to buy just the right thing, right? Or that I'm going to, you know, I'm going to buy the perfect thing for me for the amount of money they wanted. No, I just want to do better than I would have done before the research. And I always feel like that I do do a little bit better. Um, And of course, you're going to feel like that. It's like whatever the the, uh, logical fallacy is when you put a lot of effort into something or the the whole thing where when you buy something, suddenly you're you're predisposed to defend your purchase as being the correct one or whatever. Sunk cost. uh, Not sunk cost, but like... Uh, is it confirmation bias? I don't know. Like when you buy something expensive, this happens. Com- confirmation it. bias is where you look for information that uh, is kind of what, what what you want it to reach the conclusion you want to conclude. So right. cost is where you say, "Well, I've already spent a lot of money or time on this," and without regard to like, you don't want to abandon it. After yeah, that. how much is left? You know, how much value is left in this but, thing? But there's a third one that's like, if you buy an expensive product, suddenly you are predisposed to say that that product is actually the best one because you've spent money on it. It's true. It's true with movies. I mean, if you go and look at Cinema Score, I, I I've always heard about Cinema Score and I never looked at it. But in in prepping for that episode and in learning about all, how all the different review places and ratings work. So CinemaScore, apparently, the idea is that on <laughs> on opening night, A, they ask people as they're leaving the movie what grade they give it. And boy, you talk about biases. Well, somebody, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like somebody who paid, you know, 8 to $15 to be there on opening night, well, guess what? They're, they're probably going to be predisposed to give that half a grade to a grade higher than a lot of people would. Consequently... They, they don't want to seem foolish because like well, I went yeah. out of my way to come here on opening night. Like I, I you know, I made a special effort exactly. to yeah. see this movie. We're having, and we're having if fun, I was to right? come out and say it was terrible, <laughs> now I feel foolish. Yeah, and so consequently, if there's a big blockbuster that comes out that's got a B minus, that's you know normally you go hey B minus not too bad like that's that's pretty okay, but uh, B minus on a cinema score for like a blockbuster is like ooh boy that's like poison. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, I agree with you. I, I you know, I've, I've done that. You, and part of the thing, part of poisoning the well, in some ways, is the number of people who. Uh, I mean, it's almost like not Emacs and VI, but it's something where like say you're a Canon person versus a Nikon person. That used to be. The, the Emacs versus VI of cameras, and you know, and and people who were heavily invested in those in those uh, systems, you know, uh, boy, they would just go hammer and tongs on each other about uh, how how like wrong it is to get involved in that ecosystem, and you know, you kind of want to take that with a grain of salt because those people are uh, compromised. The wire, right? <laughs> they're somewhat compromised by how deeply they're in that particular system. Yeah, and things change over time too. Like you, you, your allegiances have to change because this is like game consoles. So your allegiances have to change because things actually change. If you if you say you're canon for life and your life lasts a long time, canon will change over time. Um, and you mentioned the wire cutter. That's a good example where I 
I'm a big fan of the wire cutter and the sweet home. I go to the sites all the time. I use them all the time, mostly for the purchases where it's like, I want to do some research, but I'm not going to sink like a week into this. Maybe I'll just do like a day's worth of research before I buy something. Something like a kitchen knife. I mean, well, no, well, maybe not for you, but I mean, I guess what I'm trying to say is that, you know, just following your saga with this camera and renting it and trying different lenses and knowing that you're in, you know, you're going to be solidly into the four figures with whatever you buy here. And that's like me and a TV where like we our TV, we have a Vizio that's four or five years old. And I mentioned this on Slack. I don't know why it does this, but when you turn it on, if it's been off for a while, uh, it takes three to 15 minutes for all the lines to sort of catch up like for it's not good no it's not good i I imagine it's a i don't know if it's power supply i don't know what it is but the the line elves are are on strike oh you know what you're right i keep putting the shoes out and they tear them apart at night i don't know but uh but in that case and i so i follow the wire cutter and i i just i've gotten very and i've talked to you about this and your suggestions and you know but i'm i'm somewhat reticent i had been reticent for a long time just because everybody kept saying it's a terrible time because nobody's sure what's going to happen with 4k. Well, like for example, now I'm like, well, obviously this is going to be the first TV I get with 4k and it will certainly not be the last. And so I don't want to spend $5,000, but you know, I I think it's about time. But anyway, all I'm trying to say is I think it does make a difference when you're talking about like something that's, that's fairly trivial. Like what's the best, you know, like can opener or whatever. And you could go to a place like wire cutter because I think they're very thorough for those kinds of things. It's another thing to say, well, like, you know, which, I mean, this is going to sound crazy, but like, which home hub system for home automation do you want? Like, oh my gosh, that's, that's a really complicated question for so, I I happen to know because I've been dealing with this for the last few months. That's really huge. Like some of the best products are from companies that might fall apart at any minute, as far as we know. Other ones don't interact with others. Others don't have any home kit functionality, et cetera. Or in your case, what about noise what about fan noise what about you know how often are they going to mention this thing that could be a total deal killer for you unless you've read all of those different ones and eventually ferret that out and so on on the sweet home and wire cutter speaking of the the can openers and uh, the other things like that that are miscellaneous um the the important corollary to what i just said is like i i like the sweet home and the wire cutter i use them i rarely i'm not going to say never i'm trying to think of an occasion but i rarely almost never actually buy the product they recommend that's not the function they're fulfilling to me um because by this point i feel like for the most part i have i have the number i have the wire card in the sweet homes number uh plus or minus individuals they may rotate in or out uh, i know where they're <laughs> i know where they're coming from uh, they mm-hmm. they the writing is straightforward they clearly state what their priorities are what they're looking for and how the things filled them and that's information I need. I don't just go to the article and buy the top one they recommend because almost all the time when I look at their articles, they say, here is what we're looking for. We're looking for, I don't know, like, you know, durability, speed, you know, suction power on your vacuum, whatever. They, they tell you what they're using and they tell you the test they ran. And they said, this came out at the top of the test. That gives you valuable information. But if my priorities are different than theirs, I take that information and I say, okay, well, that's the one that does best according to what they want. But I want something different, and so I read what they say about the other ones. So like, this one wasn't as good in A, B, and C, but was the best in D. I'm like, ah, I want D. That's my number one priority. Mm-hmm. So that gives me some more information. doesn't mean I buy that, that one they recommend, but it lets me know. Like, I, I almost never pick their top pick. Usually, usually when it comes down to it, because their top pick, they tend to factor in cost more than I do. 
because I'm willing to spend 50 extra bucks if it means I'll be more satisfied oh, yeah, with whatever I'm always most attracted to the, to the second one where they go, like, oh, if you're willing to spend a little more, it's like, well, yeah. I mean, if it's something I'm going to have for five years, you know, spending 20 to $100 more, it seems silly not to. If, 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 you know, in some cases, it makes a huge difference. Uh, yeah, and the other thing is with a little upgrade pick, uh, what I will usually do from there is, no, that's a new starting point to start looking. Not that I'm going to buy their upgrade pick, but I'm going to say, okay, um, I, I'm going to start looking for comparables to that, previous models of that, later models of that, because sometimes you'll, you'll come on a web page and they will have reviewed something a year before and, and there are new models for things. Or, like, I just bought a bunch of cordless phones and, like, mm-hmm. every one they reviewed was was discontinued. And they just did a new review and it's like an entirely new set. It's like mattresses. Like, certain products, they just change you every year for the sake of changing, kind of, it seems like to prevent you from ever finding the same model twice. Yeah. Yeah. So you can't get mad about it or whatever. There's only so much you can do for these things. But, but yeah, I, I just want information in, to be put into the big machine so I can figure out what I want. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, the things you need to do that are you need to be comfortable reading a lot of reviews and synthesizing information, you need to know what your priorities are. A lot of people go in and just like, oh, I don't know. What do I want out of a dishwasher? Do I care that it's quiet? Do I care they can take off food? Do I care if it can have the silverware that lays flat or the third row? What, what do, I don't even know what I want. I don't have that problem. I don't have the problem of not knowing what I want. I'm blessed I'm blessed with the ability to know <laughs> what I want pretty much <laughs> at all times. You are so, so blessed. Yeah, exactly. So so it just all gets fed into the, 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 the big machine and then I, you know, I'd spend however much time I want to spend and then I come with a decision and you try it and like the best way to do is like you buy it and you learn like the, the cameras were nice because I could rent them and say let me actually use it in real life but even the cameras I would have been better if I rented seven different cameras but that would be astronomically expensive take a huge amount of time everything has to be sort of you have to, you have to put limits on things and dishwashers I've gone through several of them some of which have been delivered to the house and then immediately returned before they're actually installed for a variety of reasons you live and learn. Sometimes you get a dishwasher and you realize, oh, well, well that's because it, it it got delivered and you re- something about it wasn't it wouldn't fit work for you. Wouldn't fit. Oh, that sucks. Yeah. Um, and so then our new criteria, which we didn't know up until that point, is primary criteria for shopping for a dishwasher: minimum height. Yeah. Which is not the criteria that any review site is ever going to, you know, so you have to just look at the review sites and find the best one that meets your minimum height. You can't just look at the best one, the one they recommend, you know, and, and you have to know, do you like that thing where the silverware lays flat or do you like the silverware to be vertical? Uh, do you need it to, you know, take off caked on stuff from giant pots and pans or are you one of those people who like pre-rinses everything before they go in, in which case you don't care about that, right? Um, how much do you care about noise and so on and so forth. So mm-hmm. I find the giant information glut of the internet with respect to reviews incredibly uh valuable but i totally see the other side of it uh where you just feel like there's tons of information and doesn't bring you any closer to a decision which is why sites like the wire cutter and sweet home are nice because they give people the clarity like you know for people for whom uh, lots of additional information does not bring them closer to a decision wire cutter and the sweet home is brilliant format is just buy this one it's fine like that should be the right. name of their site just buy this one it's fine.com Oh, there's I, I, there's times when I've really I've really wanted that for maybe not for a TV, but like for example, like I I'm just <laughs> I'm looking at the can opener. I recently bought this Oxo Good Grip Good Grips. Have you seen these Smooth Edge can openers? Uh, the ones that that leave the the curl it under so the thing doesn't have sharp edges. Yeah, it cuts. It's weird. It, it, yeah, structure, it cuts around the side. right? It cuts around like underneath the lip of the can. And first, my my daughter and I were using it to open some uh, spaghettios, and I was like, well, what, what, I don't think this thing's working. And then it's like. The top just lifts off. So cool. 
I've never been a fan of those, but I do have an OXO Good Grips can opener. And my favorite thing, I love OXO in general as a company, though very, a lot of their products have actually regressed. But the can opener we have, which I don't know, I don't know if they still make, the brilliant, the most brilliant thing on it is that the, it's a hand one. So you have the little, the traditional yeah. one. You squeeze the little handles and you turn a little thing on the side. And the thing you turn on the side is shaped like, you know, like a black and white cookie. Yes. <laughs> right? Cut a black and white cookie down the line. And so now you have like a semicircle that's kind of like half football shaped. That's the turny thing. Like it's this magic shape that you can turn with your fingers that you have a good grip on it, but no, no part digs into you. Hmm. It sounds like a simple thing, but it's, it's it just it's an, it's an amazing can opener. And it's just the, the, the plain old I make sharp edges on can opener type of thing. That's what I like, by the way. I like the top thing because I don't go all the way around. Sometimes I leave it like hanging by a little flap so I can. Drain, I, I leave a flap. Also, this might be just some some dumb anal retentive grandma thing in me, but I, I think people should clean their can openers more. People don't think about that. I it's think really, about it. It's hard to clean them. That's the problem. It is, and so you you throw it out and you get a fresh one. But like if you've got a rusty, think about that. You got a rusty old can opener. Like sometimes you have the one that's like a mounted to the wall and isn't that cute and old timey. And you think about those little gears, those rusty little gears going into food and little bits of food no, getting gross. in there and further rusting. And it's like that's like a botulism machine. It's disgusting. Oh, yeah, I see the fancy one. Yours has a similar handle, the smooth one. That see the handle. It's not quite the same, but it's very similar. See how it's like. Yeah. It's like a semicircle dome thing. Instead of just being like a, a right angle of metal, like, uh, you know, or little little wavy metal flags with holes in them like they were when we were kids, which were terrible for your, for your fingers. And these are just so much nicer. I don't, I guess they don't make mine anymore. I, that's what I don't like when OXO stops making. A it, well, my, that's, my cheese that's, grater is the worst one. I've that's that's maddening before. because, uh, like you say, it is a lot like the mattress racket where, uh, like today, um, Dan and I were talking about some stuff we like. I was talking about some movies and some products and stuff. And I was like, oh, I'll toss in a couple gadgets that, that I like. I, like. I really like these uh, headphones I got that Marco recommended. I really like these particular Edimotix, uh headphones that I use or earphones, you know, for walking around. But there's like four different things I've bought or rebought, like in the last, in this calendar year that are already like what's the word like eol like it's just only available from third parties newer model available you know and i think that's part of when you talk about like how you have this tolerance and actually enjoy getting all that extra information i think that's part of it is like just go and read the name of some of these products aloud and <laughs> it's if finding the right etymotics like if you haven't just bookmarked it like you can really accidentally buy the wrong ones that don't control your iphone with the triple click and stuff like that and it's i think it's really overwhelming people to people partly by design i think they make it so that they want you to just wander in maybe being paranoid i think they want you to go to the best buy with the overbite tvs and have this guy say what do i have to do to put you in the samsung today yeah, that, that's one aspect of it. The other one, the more optimistic one, which sometimes is actually true, is that they are continually refining their product and they think they're making it better year over year. It's mostly true in electronics because general electronics, they do, I mean, very often they decontent and make it cheaper, but at the very least, it has fewer components, takes less power, makes less noise over time. And it probably also is crappier as well. But it, but for things like hand tools, I, I think Oxford really does think they're making all their products better. They're wrong in certain cases, but it's not like they're doing the the mattress thing um yeah so i i like to believe that these companies that are constantly changing their products really believe that this year's model is better than last year's but right very often i buy the last year's year but my, my receiver is intentionally like the like two generations behind what was current a because it was cheaper and b because i looked at exactly what was different in the subsequent generations and they were all features i didn't want and you know i looked at all the reviews and all the performance was comparable and receivers 
I don't think are the type of component where they coalesce uh, integrated circuits on a, on a time scale of that size. Uh, so I bought the older one to save myself some money, avoided features that I don't want. Um, and, you know, that little extra bit of money can go towards when I have to buy my inevitable 4K receiver sometime in the distant future when it's safe to buy a television or again. Or another, uh, another dishwasher. Yeah, jeez. Oh, this current one, the little plastic thingy broke on the racks. Now i got to go, like, find all the parts on the whatever website and see if I can get just that one plastic part without having to buy an entire top rack thing. Uh, that's another great thing for the internet, by the way, not, not to uh, get off reviews for a second, but yeah. when you have something in your house and some part of it breaks, the internet is a great resource for finding somehow, some way, finding a way to buy just the part that broke for your thing. At least identify. We did that with our oven. I've got an entire notes file that's full. Like, basically, I went in, I zoomed in, <clears throat> and uh, you know took a photo of, because you know how it is where, like, when you get to my age, your iPhone becomes a magnifying glass too. Uh, we can go in and take a picture, and then you just start. People just forget. You can just Google any string, and there are whole sites of manuals that will show you schematics for like this one crazy tiny piece that may or may not might be available somewhere if you know the right person. Yeah, all all you need is is one number. Like you just get the right number, but you'd be surprised that there's little numbers etched in everything you own. You just need that one number, and that begins the trail of googling. Recently, I had a sad experience. I had this light in the room that I'm in right now. There was a light in the ceiling for many well. We moved in, there was one light, and that died, and I replaced it with another light, and that died, and I replaced it with another light. I'm buying cheap lights, obviously. I'm just buying, like, Home Depot lights. I'm trying to find a light. There's one place for light in this room, which is in, in, the, in the ceiling, dead center. We don't have any other lights in the room. And I needed something that would light up this whole room, which is a small room. Like, it's a computer room. There's not a lot of stuff in here. But I wanted to light up the whole room. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm looking for... 200 watt equivalent bulb obviously i'm not going to buy an incandescent 200 watt. they don't even sell those anymore but i want i bought, I bought a case of those yeah <laughs> i wanted to buy a light that they always, they still rate them in this way which is going to be harder and harder to explain as time goes on to like your grandchildren like what does it mean by 200 watts like well this 15 watt bulb puts out the light of a 200 watt incandescent bulb what's an incandescent bulb anyway right um but That's if you really, if you for. really, if you really want to see, and, and your fixtures can handle it, and you got to be careful that your fixture can handle it, man, a two hundred watt bulb will change your game. Well, obviously, I didn't want an actual two hundred watt bulb, but yeah, I was looking for it. Like <laughs> you can look, look, they're moving to lumens. You can look at how many lumens they put out or whatever. Um, and so that's what I was really looking for. And also the ceilings in this room are low because this is an old house and I'm in what used to be like a three-season porch, which is now enclosed. Uh, and so the ceilings are low in here too, and I'm a tall person, so I can't have a light that extends down very far. So I'm shopping oh. for a super bright, low-profile, non-glary, 200-watt equivalent light, which is surprisingly hard to find. And I had actually found one, which was like this dome that was like smoked glass that was really slim and low profile and didn't stick down a lot and had a uh, circular fluorescent thing in it uh and i had that in this room for years and both the circular bulbs would blow and the little ballast the little thing you plug in that powers the fluorescent bulb those would blow and i thought i had bought ample supply of both of those parts and the last time it blew i went into my little closet to pull out my parts i'm like okay here's a bulb and i just need a ballast just in case it's that and i was out of ballast and so I went and Googled the part number, looked up into my notes or whatever, and looked at the old Amazon link, which was, you know, defunct at that point. But I had the part number, looked it up, and, uh, you know, maybe 20, 30 minutes of research led me to the sad discovery that this particular part had been discontinued and was unavailable everywhere uh. and was never going to be available again. I mean, this is maybe 10, 12-year-old thing, but they just don't make this particular ballast for these particular bulbs anymore period you could find the part number on a million websites and it was all uh, you know discontinued 
out of stock, you know, and just eventually you find like people describing like, why can't I get this anywhere? It's like, they're just not making it anymore. So I had to get a new light bulb. Um, so I try not to make that mistake with things that I like with my cheese grater that I like from OXO that they stopped making years ago. I have like six of them in the basement. Um, I just added what looks like our water pick shower head. Cause you know, shower heads can be a very personal thing. And I know one day they're either going to make this thing too conservative or they're just going to stop making it. And like, I feel like I want to buy like 10 of them. Yeah. The sh- we have a shower head in this house that is pre water saver uh, like before. Right. And I yeah. dread, I dread the day this thing dies because it is just phenomenal. <laughs> Boy, that's the kind of thing you're not gonna be able to explain to kids. I mean, they're just going to be like, well, you know, you'd be like, oh, you know, showers, it's like peaches. Showers used to be so nice. It'd be water and there was, you could feel it like on your neck. And now you go into a hotel and it's like, oh my goodness. It's like someone just spitting on you. I mean, it's like an old man drooling on you. You're next to Niagara Falls and you have to take a shower. This episode of Reconcilable Differences is brought to you in part by Squarespace, the simplest way for anyone to create a beautiful landing page, website, or online store. You can start building your website today by going to squarespace.com. Enter the offer code DIFFS, that's D-I-F-F-S, at checkout. That's going to get you 10% off your first purchase. Oh, Squarespace, they have easy-to-use tools and templates that help you capture every detail of what drives you. Because if it's worth the effort, it's worth sharing with the world. Squarespace puts all the power you need into your hands. Takes away the pain points, stuff like worrying about hosting or scaling or what to do if you get stuck with something. And with Squarespace, you can build a site that looks professionally designed regardless of your skill level with no coding required. Squarespace has state-of-the-art technology to power your site and to ensure security and stability. They are trusted by millions of people and some of the most respected companies in the world. I use them uh, for podcasts and for website stuff. I just think they're the best. I've been with them forever, and I, I just I love Squarespace. The site templates are stunning to look at. They all have responsive design. That means your site's going to look great on all kinds of dinguses and devices. Squarespace has 24 by 7 support with live chat and email. You can get the Squarespace commerce platform that lets you put a store on your Squarespace site. You can sell things for money. They have the cover page functionality for great-looking single-page websites. Rock solid, fast hosting, and so much more. They even have a dev platform so you can dig into the code and tinker with your Squarespace site. If you sign up for a year, you'll also get a free domain name. So you get to choose whatever you want to call your site. And Squarespace plans start at a mere $8 per month. So go right now. Start. Get a free trial. No credit card required. Start building your website today by going to squarespace.com. And remember, when you decide to sign up for your Squarespace account, use the very special offer code DIFFS. It's D-I-F-F-S. And that'll get you 10% off your first purchase. And we'll show your support for reconcilable differences. Our thanks to Squarespace for supporting Reconcilable Differences and all of Relay FM. So we've talked a lot about product reviews and ratings. Uh, can we talk a little bit about media? Because I know you're pretty allergic to spoilers on things. So I'm guessing, you know, you're not like, I don't know. How do you feel about reviews when it comes to things like media? Do you rely on them at all to decide what you're going to want to see? Or are they mainly just the bane of your existence because of spoilers? I do I do rely on them a surprising amount. So there's one category of things that you're mostly talking about where I've already decided that I'm going to see the next Star Wars movie. I don't need to see a review. You know, there's certain things I'm just going to see, right? No matter what, pretty much. Even I mean, even the prequels are crying out loud. I, I, even two movies in, I'm like, I'm going to see it. Don't pretend you're not going to see it. There's no sense in reading reviews. Just <laughs> whatever. I'm going to see it, right? Um, and those are the ones I would be most spoiler sensitive to. 
Then there's a, a large category of things where I don't want to be spoiled, but I do. Uh, this is where I appreciate like the meta review size. What I want to basically know is like, does everyone mostly agree this is a pretty good movie? Does everyone mostly agree this is a terrible movie, or is it like polarizing? Right, and I can get that from those silly numbers, whether it's Rotten Tomatoes or you know a few trusted reviewers. Like those meta sites are just an amalgam of a million people who I don't even know. All I want to see is like, look, is it super terrible? Sometimes it's easy to tell. Like nothing. That, if I'm on the fence about a movie and it gets like thirteen percent of Rotten Tomatoes, mm-hmm. I don't need to dig that, into that's that. All you, and, that's and, all you and, need and to know. I don't need to go in like, oh well, that's not fair because the reviewer I really love gave it a great rating. It's like. All I'm trying to determine is whether I'm going to pay to see this in a theater. When it, you know, comes out on home video or it's on HBO or on Netflix, whatever. Like, I'll I'll make the call then. And I'm also what I'm also waiting for is the other form of reviews, which is let everyone else who doesn't have kids go to the movies and see it and tell me in the 700 Slack channels that I'm in. And they're like, oh, I saw this movie. It was terrible. I'm just, I'll hear. I feel like I will, from reading, uh, reading little numbers on the internet to hearing other people complain about it, I'll get an idea of like, no, you should really definitely see this movie. Or... It's all right, but you can kind of wait for it. Like, and reviews, the meta reviews fulfill that for me. I didn't read a single review. I just need to know, like, how does it turn out? And I know what the expectations are. Is like, is this backlash or people, is it not really that bad? Like, I'm not taking them as literal, and I know it's a ridiculous, vague thing to have this number that's just a, uh, you know, it's same thing for games, like just the Metacritic score where they just sum everything up. All I want to know is, I probably already know about the game if I'm interested in it at all. And all I want to know is, like, did it come out well? Did is, is it is it what I think it was going to be? And then I know whether I'm going to go see it or not. And then the final category is, especially for games, I do this. Games I know I'm never going to play because it's in a genre I don't play or it's on a, a platform I don't play. Mm-hmm. I, will, I, I get Edge Magazine. I will read the reviews of almost every game that's in there. Games that I would never think of playing that I wouldn't even enjoy because I like reading game reviews. And by reading the reviews... I feel I don't really feel like I played the game, but like I feel like I am versed in genres that I don't actually play. So it's like sort of a literacy in you know it's it's like if you read reviews like if there was a site that just did reviews of horror movies, but you never watched horror movies, you'd eventually become versed in the genre of horror movies, even though they're not your type of movie. Like you know, not to say never. Like I've seen horror movies where, but they're not my cup of tea. But if I if I constantly read reviews of horror movies, I feel like I would learn more about them. So I've played real time strategy games. They're not really my cup of tea. But I've read a, I've read a million reviews of real time strategy games, and so I feel like it enhances my knowledge of the entire market and the genre. So that when real time strategy game elements come into a game category that I do play, I understand what they're talking about. Right, right, right. Um, and then for games, for games that I really love, that the thing I mostly do is find out. You know, if, if I'm going to get it anyway, I'm going to get it anyway. Right, like Last Guardian. Even if the reviews are terrible, I'm still getting it playing the game. It's just going to happen. Right. Same thing with you know, or the ones that I just want to see. Okay, did this turn out? Okay, I'll play it. And sort of my reward for either watching the movie or playing the game is I get to read all the reviews after. After I've done it. Like, I will avoid the, uh, the reviews, maybe look at the numbers, see is it good, is it bad, watch it or play it, and then I get to read the reviews because then I'm immune to spoilers because I've actually played the entire game. And it's interesting to me, the same reason I listen to The Incomparable or something else, it's interesting to me to hear what other people think of, thing, of a thing that I already already experienced, which might seem weird. It's like, once you've seen the movie, why do you need to read the review? But that's what I like. Like I said, that's why I like shows like The Incomparable. And for The Incomparable episodes, I want to have seen the movie before I listen to the episode. There are so many Incomparables right, right, right. that I have not listened to because I'm like, oh, I'm, I might read that book and then I'll listen to it. Oh, I'm going to watch that movie and then I'll listen to the episode. Um, and I enjoy that. I enjoy playing a game and then pulling out the issue of Edge magazine from three months ago because I'm way behind in my GameCube and reading the review. 
I also, I mean, I, I realize you've uh, already kind of stated you can't see yourself ever, ever being a guest, but I also really enjoy listening to uh, Unjustly Maligned with Ant- Anthony Johnston because he, he has an, I, 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 uh, an uncanny ability to pick people who come on that show. And maybe I'm just uh, easy to convince, but I, uh, I'm always really interested to hear from somebody who's thought a lot about, in that case, you know, uh, something that we feel like we're all really familiar with could be a movie from the 80s or the 90s that they really like and almost everybody else hates. That, to me, is where... Because, you know, one thing with what you're saying is that I think for most people, and again, Jason and I talked about this, is that in the post-Siskel and Ebert age, I think one uh, concerning thing about reviews is the extent to which they become a, should I buy this or not, decision. Where it's not really about criticism. It's not about art. It's not about really talking about big ideas. It's about either nerding out in a totally positive way in a recap or whatever, nerding out however you nerd out in a recap, or it's about basically, you know, saying, you know, essentially, should you see this or not? And uh, it seems rarer today to run into things that are really thoughtful uh, about, you know, where where this thing fits in with with the culture and how people feel strongly one way or another about it. Yeah, that that's why my favorite reviews, my favorite review experience is, like I said, after I've done the thing or seen the thing, to read it after. Obviously, I'm not reading it at that point to do a buy no buy decision. That's already happened. I've already done it. I've already bought it. Right? I'm reading it for the for the critical analysis. Right? And I can only fully appreciate the review. The best reviews I feel like are like this. You can only fully appreciate the review after you have played the game or seen the movie, because otherwise. It's like they're sketching vague outlines or something, but you don't know what they're talking about because you haven't actually seen it or done it. Once you've right, seen it or right, done right. it, then their analysis starts. It's it's like reading an analysis of a book that you haven't read. Like it doesn't it doesn't make any sense. And so that that's my favorite thing. And Edge Magazine has a great balance uh, because they are a gaming magazine. I don't know if they're forced culturally to do the thing where they give you i mean you have mice and MacWorld. you got thumbs up thumbs down you get your star ratings for movies and games very often there's a number that you get sometimes it's a number with a decimal point sometimes it's out of five mostly it's out of ten sometimes it's out of a hundred sometimes they rate it in different categories x out of ten on graphics x out of tens on quote-unquote gameplay whatever they uh make up so edge magazine does do this but i think they do it in sort of a miniature act of defiance and in maybe the most appropriate way edge magazine will have well they do they do something that's really weird and they don't really have bylines on reviews which hmm. is which is weird but it, it, it kind of works for them in terms of like this is the edge magazine review it's not the joe Schmo review they have columnists and the columnists have bylines but the reviews tend not to uh, i don't know if they're all done as an amalgam or whatever but they, they try to maintain like a consistent voice for the reviews um and unlike many other games and many other websites where as soon as you load the review for the game, there's a giant call-out box with a big flashing green number or a bar chart or maybe an animation or just some huge thing that says 7.6 out of 10, right? And it changes color if it's like gold, silver, bronze, or like sparkly or, or green or a gradient. Like some way, like it, it is the most important thing about the review, which is how Metacritic works. Is like we're going to figure out a number. Uh-huh. And the only way we can figure out a number is by taking numbers from game reviews or synthesizing a number that we make up based on what they wrote if they if they're this type of set doesn't use numbers so edge has this <laughs> at, a whole, de- at a decimal point it's like science yeah edge has this whole review that's you know they have tiny reviews that are half a page they have single page reviews and they have multi-page reviews um and for their reviews you read the entire review which usually has a lot of text and at the very end of the review sort of like where the little closed box would be and uh was it mac user magazine did that do you remember that uh like in the upper left 
Yeah, so I think this was Mac user. If Jason was here, he would know. Uh, do you remember classic Mac OS had a square in the upper left corner of mm-hmm. Windows? That yeah, you, of course. That you would put the mouse cursor in that box and you click and suddenly, like, I don't know, uh, how many? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Eight lines, like a little starburst. Oh, like, you, a window, like a window shade? Like on mouse down? No, the close box. The close right, box right. in classic Mac OS. If yes. you held your mouse, if you put your mouse in it, clicked and held down, you could see that your cursor is in the center of a perfect square, black and white square, and in the center of that black and white square, now from the you know the tip of your cursor that's right in the middle, lines were extending like a starburst. They didn't ex- go out of the square. They stayed inside the square that was indicating that you had clicked on it. Oh, I get it. That was the little glyph that they would put after the period of the last sentence to say, okay, now you're oh, closing yeah, this Oh, yeah, you're right. Well, I, forget, I don't know what the name for that is in publishing, but I know what you mean. Like, you've got your own little stylized. Yeah, I remember that. Right, so in Edge Magazine, after all the words in the review... All by itself, black letters, it's bold, but otherwise not particularly called out from anything else, in the sa- in line with the text is a single number from 1 to 10. That is the extent of how they express the rating for a game. It's not in a box, it doesn't have any words, it's not called out, it is the last thing in the article, it is the same size, more or less, as the font of the body text, maybe a little bit bigger, maybe a little bit bolder, but just in line, blah, 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 read, 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 period, 7. Hmm. And that, I feel like, is exactly the appropriate sort of uh, prominence uh, for reviews. It's the correct amount of decimal points. Of uh, of like numerical ratings. Right. And they actually use almost all of the range. Unlike saying, okay, well, we're never going to give a game below a 7 unless it it doesn't launch. Right? They will give games a 5. They will give games... A three. They'll give them a six. They'll go. They'll use the range that's up there. Um, and honestly, I, I, th- I feel like the magazine is telling me is like we wouldn't put these numbers here if we didn't have to, but we kind of have to, so we will. And it is convenient where if you don't, if I don't want to read the review because there are too many spoilers, but I just want to know, hey, did this game turn out well? Like, say it's some indie game that I've been reading about and hearing reviews for a long time, and now it's finally out. You know. I'll flip past the screenshots that I've probably always seen before, look down at the last thing, and if I see a three there, I'll be like, oh, it didn't come out that well. Maybe I pushed that down in my queue. If I see a seven or an eight there, I'm like, oh, it came out as well as I thought it would. I'm probably going to play that game, but I don't want to read the review because if I'm looking forward to it, I will spoil too much of the game. Context, context, context. Uh, you're now one, two, two years out from doing the OS ten reviews? Something like that. Do you, I mean, is that the word you used? Did you call it a review? Yeah. But I mean, it's interesting. Like I, I explore that a little bit because you know, reading your what review, I guess. But I mean, it wasn't like you were saying buy it or don't buy it. It was more about um, doing doing the detective work and archaeology of going through every corner of this, talking about what's changed, what's different, with occasional like fairly deep asides on some technical aspect of it. But um, I don't know. Now that you're a couple of years away from that, how do you how do you feel about the stuff that you did with reviewing that lots of people read it tell lots of people knew you do you think much about uh about those days and and what led you to want to do that every year couldn't have been just the dough i mean certainly that couldn't have been no, worth it was not <laughs> but i mean was i guess what i'm trying to get at is that that seems very artful like an art, art thing to me because yes it was about communicating something and writing to people but a lot of it was stuff to some extent that you were going to do anyway like, how do you think about it in retrospect and con- contrast that with what most people call a review today? Uh, uh, I think in the beginning and uh, really all the way through, what I was doing in the end uh, was what a lot of people who do similar things uh, say they're doing. And it's true, I think, is uh, 
writing something that you would want to read. So uh, on the early days of the internet, and even today in the internet, I'm the type of person who, if I found, like say I'm looking for reviews of can openers, if I found a website where a guy wrote 17 page reviews of can openers and he'd reviewed like every major can opener that had come out in the past 10 years, I'd be like, this is a gold mine. Like finally I can, you know, have a self-consistent timeline of can opener reviews so I can compare to each other <laughs> and you know and and it's like and I will learn a lot about can openers through it and they'll go back into the history of can openers and stuff like that and that's how finding something like that and reading it is how you become more knowledgeable about can openers so for you know learning about computers or anything like that it was, it was always exciting to find uh, a little treasure trove of somebody uh, like an authoritative source of someone with background and knowledge and experience in an area who uh, will impart that information onto the audience. And by reading this thing, you become more knowledgeable in a subject that you were interested in and you just repeat that cycle over and over again. So uh, I was, I was doing that for myself for OS 10 because I was really interested in the next generation Mac operating system. And I have been for a long time. And then the internet came along and there was a way for me to express my opinions to more people because it's hard to find people locally who want to hear about every little nuance about your fretting over the, the fact there's no next generation Mac operating system and Apple keeps trying and they keep screwing it up. Right. Like I had been reading all those stories about Copeland and Gershwin and pink intelligent. And like I, I've been reading those for years in Mac week magazine and Mac user and Mac world. And pre-internet i didn't have anyone really to talk to that i was just on the receiving end but i was really interested in it. and when they started to make actual products and i could download them and try them i had things to say about them uh and i could have just talked to my group of internet friends about it in our you know in our irc channels or through instant message or wherever the heck we were communicating back then and we did have those conversations or on you know arguing with guy english on uh, on mailing lists like before i didn't even know who he was and all you know like just that was happening but that is just like, what is the value of me communicating one-on-one or one-on-75 or whatever, like in these little circles and pockets of the internet? Eventually, I wanted to have my say, and in doing so, I attracted people who were also interested in this topic, but didn't have the time or inclination to follow a million different mailing lists and be in the exact IRC channel I'm in and synthesize my typo-ridden sentences into some sort of coherent uh, opinion or story or position or uh you know and so by writing reviews i could set it all down in one place i could explain it to people i could bring in new people who are maybe vaguely interested and then they read this and they know more about it and understand why it's important you know if i'm enthusiastic that enthusiasm can be contagious if i do a good job um and you know and that was the time when the mac was you know becoming less seen as a ridiculous computer and more sort of the you know the whole tim o'reilly alpha geeks are using macs or whatever like those are the early right. days of that so what I felt like I was doing is, like, I, I had really strong feelings on the future of the Mac operating system, and I was digging as deeply into this thing. It's like, to, you know, I'm anticipating this thing. How's it coming? Is it coming out well? Is, are they messing it up? Uh, you know, and this all during, you know, is Apple going to survive? Are they, or is Apple doing good things or bad things? Because I love this company, but I also love to hate them and criticize them or whatever. That's what I was doing. So I, I wanted to put that out there in a, in a, in a form for everybody, and uh, the the people who read my reviews year after year would know more about the mac operating system would be more enthusiastic about it would be anticipating the next one even more um and that doesn't fit into the typical review type structure because like you said the review could either be saying is this good or bad should i buy it or not 
Uh, every sort of even computer reviews have some kind of format depending on the site. Ars Technica's review format was pretty informal because there was only a few people writing them back then. It eventually evolved into what I think is still the current format, where at the end they would say the good, the bad, and the ugly. So they're just a bunch of bullet points: the good, this is good, this is good, this is good, the bad, this is good, this is this is bad, this is bad, this is bad, and then the ugly, where you usually say something funny or point out the the worst thing about it. Back when I started, they were also doing numerical ratings. I don't think they did decimals, but they did out of 10. And they had little graphics for with the little, uh, you know, logo of like an 8 within little, what are they called? The little con film festival thing. The little, um, the little like, like a laurel? Yeah, laurels. That's what it is. Um, they had graphics for all that. From the beginning, I resisted the notion that I was going to put a number on my reviews. So I'm going to write all these words and you want me to boil <laughs> that, it down. That would to, seem so weird. What am I going to say? Like, this is a this is a seven? Like, what does that even mean? Like, I wrote all these words to explain exactly what I mean, and it's really complicated and nuanced. And there's no way I can get a number of that. So I never did put a number on any of them. As far as I'm aware, I never put a number. I should go back and look, but pretty sure I never put a number on them. Um, certainly not in, in the, the later years, but I'm pretty sure I never, ever did. Uh, because I didn't want to do that. I, I'm like, the only way you can know what, what I think about this operating system and what the whole deal is, it is to read the whole thing. I wrote all these words down for a reason. If you don't want to read this whole type of thing, there are plenty of sites that will have a shorter review. This is for the people who want to know all the details and become more knowledgeable about it. Um, and that's, that's definitely a different kind of thing. It's more like a movie reviewer who through writing his reviews is going to teach you about cinematography and about editing about uh what it means to be a director and about casting and about you know special effects and like and through reading the reviews you will learn more about that topic or, or so let's say or a movie reviewer only reviews movies made by a particular person a particular director or a particular writer or whatever and then you learn more about that person's journey the creator's journey because that's the only you know like it's it was definitely a weird different kind of thing in the end towards the the latter years i did feel i'm not gonna say pressure but some sort of responsibility to you know at the very end of the review include some section that says if you have read this far what you probably want to know or if you just skip to the last page is should i upgrade to this operating system right because i was effectively saying that especially in the early years my my repeated line over and over again which was totally true uh, for the first several versions was this operating system runs faster on the same hardware than the one that came before it. So if you have a Mac without replacing your hardware, if you merely upgrade your operating system, your Mac will fear faster, which was totally unprecedented. This is when like Windows was getting slower and more bloated and, you know, OS X started so insanely slow at, at 10.0, was faster and better. 10.2 was faster and better. 10.3 was faster and better. 10.4 was faster and better. It was an unprecedented year after year. I would just repeat the same thing. Uh, you know, Mac OS 10 10.x is faster on the same hardware than, you know, Mac OS 10 10.x minus one, right? Eventually, yeah. that stopped being strictly true. And I would have to say, should you upgrade? Well, you got to weigh the pros and cons. How well has Apple done recently in terms of bugs on the point oh release? If you can wait for the point one, is it worth doing so? Uh, maybe you want to sit this whole one out. Like, I did feel some responsibility to, like, again, it wasn't like, two or three paragraphs in a in a 20,000 word review to say there is a place where you can go there is a little section if you want to know should i upgrade but eventually that section started to look the same too it's like well uh it's pretty good it's better than the one that came before it if you're afraid of 0.0 bugs wait two months for the 0.1.2 to come out um but i i quickly recognized that there was no way that a review posted on launch day of an operating system 
was ever going to be able to tell you about the catastrophic incompatibility with some, you know, USB peripheral or something like I don't know that. I have no way of knowing that. This this is this review comes out on the day you can buy the operating right, system. Right, right. How how can I know if there's some fatal flaw? Like I don't have a hundred people with a hundred different Macs and a hundred different pieces of hardware to test on. I'm never going to know. You know, like the only way you can know that is wait two months. You'll see the stories in the internet if there's some fatal flaw or crash or whatever. But the reviews that are out on launch day, they can't know that. I, I literally do not have a lab full of people and technicians and hardware to do comprehensive testing on. I just don't. It's just me in a room with one or two Macs. Right, where you can like, def- definitely that. assure people with this graphics card not to upgrade. Like That's not going to happen. Right. I mean, that's, and that's the whole thing. I mean, for the most part, people understood that. Like, you know, if the stories come out a month later, it's like, oh, this, this new operating system in the point oh release has, you know, a crash on this video driver on this size power book or whatever. It's like, you know... If you're worried about that, don't upgrade until a week or two or three after. Wait for the point one release. Wait for the point. Two. That's why that paragraph started to get samey. But that's as far as I went to sort of bow to the conventional function of reviews. But the whole rest of it, I was all talking about like the narrative journey of this of this character known as uh, Mac OS X, eventually OS X, and now just Mac OS. Um, kind of felt like I was writing a not a novel, maybe a, a docudrama, maybe. A, I don't know. This there's probably a million words that, that might explain it, but I, I find my reviews difficult to categorize because most people don't do this kind of writing because honestly, there's not much appetite for that kind of writing. It's not it's not really tolerated uh, that much these days. It's uh, I'm going to say it's a dying art form, but it's a is it is a form that that I think I helped sort of uh, not popularize because it was never really particularly popularized, but sort of define. And that there's a lot more a lot more people doing very long reviews of Apple's system stuff than there were before you but it, yeah sure. but it, it's not about the length though i feel like it is it is about the content like that superficially th- that's one distinguishing characteristic which is like it's a one pager or is it something that are, that's really really long but it's the content like even Vitici, i think his content is a little bit different has a different focus than mine does um but for a while there were a bunch of people doing doing or trying to do reviews that were similar to mine and i feel like the appetite for that and really the relevance of that is less these days i mean everything about the whole you know the market for it like the fact that you don't go to a store and buy it in a box the fact that it's free the fact that it's download the fact that it's automatically updated like just so many things about it change the stakes when when no money is on the table suddenly you don't really care suddenly you care much more about things like compatibility and stability and much less about what am i getting for my money because like well it's free so all i have to worry about is if there's a downside and then you're worried about the things that my review can't tell you but really, I wanted to tell the story of why is this operating system changing this way? Why have they decided to implement these features the way they have? What are they going for? Like, is there there's a marketing message or whatever, but which direction, you know, how is this thing changing? Not just this year, but if I draw the line back through the past seven years, can you better understand where we where the thing is and where it's going? Like, don't just see this as a point in time. See this as... Uh, you know, another dot on a graph with a line that's going somewhere and try to figure out where they're going and see if that's a place you want to go or see, if, like, is this a transitional one? Are they going down a blind alley here? Um, like the Lion Review stands out to me as a place where it's like, the direction is clear, but I'm not quite sure it's a great idea. And then 10.8 Mountain Lion was a nice course correction, but it's still, you know, like that arc is a is a fairly dramatic thing for late in the life of the operating system to figure, like where they kind of 
you know, chased their own tail for a while and got lost in the woods. And you could totally see what they were going for, but they weren't being particularly successful. And, and again, to try to express that by putting a number at, at the end of the thing, even if it was just the same size as the text, I just, it just doesn't make any sense to me. Mm-hmm. 